the rest of us can uh, be ready. You can turn to Isaiah 40 and keep your finger on that. And we'll also look at the uh, Gospel of Mark a little bit as well, too. So keep all that in mind. But let me, before we uh, do much more, let me just review real quick from last Sunday about uh, different things that were mentioned. We started our Advent last Sunday and uh, began that with the message of that Jesus, the coming Lord, was sent to claim his crown as king. And uh, uh, we learned three things that happened when Jesus, uh, with Jesus sent as the coming Lord. One was that in sending Jesus, God comes down. So God with us in the incarnation, God becomes flesh and lives among us. He steps into creation, to our brokenness, and enters our pain. And this is the thrill of Advent. In sending Jesus, God comes down. Also in sending Jesus, God reveals himself. Jesus is the full revelation of God's character, God's will, and God's heart. And uh, he is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. So in sending Jesus, God reveals himself. And we also learn, too, that in sending Jesus, God restores us. God restores us. We looked at um, the, the recognition of sin as we looked at Isaiah chapter 64. And uh, when the Israelites were celebrating the mighty acts of the Lord in the past that had gone on, they, they became uh, aware of their sin and their unfaithfulness. And they, they saw that God had been faithful, but... Uh, they were not, <laughs> and uh, anything that they thought was good was just like filthy rags before God. And so a plea of grace went out before the people, and uh, they, the Israelites uh, sought mercy on the basis of God's character, not their worthiness, but who God is. And out of, uh, out of our history of brokenness, Jesus crafts a future of restoration and he restores us as well. Through this Advent season, we are reminded of that, and uh, we cling to his promises about that. Because of the sin-broken reality of our world, we often find ourselves uh, crying out for God to do something, to intervene and set things right again. When we want him to reveal himself and bring the scattered loss back to his heart in an Advent, God does exactly that. <laughs> and so during this Advent season, we can celebrate that. As, as uh, in sending Jesus, God comes down, God reveals himself, and God restores us. Those things we learned the last Sunday, and uh, we continue on today with a uh, message as well, too, of Advent. And there's one thing that I want, I would like for everyone to know and remember, if there's anything that you remember from, from the day's message at all, it is that hope dawns in the middle of our darkest hour. Hope dawns in the middle of our darkest hour. See, Jesus brings deliverance in the moments of our deepest need. And as people with prepared hearts, we can ask, we can seek, and we can wait with expectation that rescue, that redemption is coming. In Mark chapter 1, I told you we're going to be looking in Gospel of Mark real quick. The first eight verses of, of Mark chapter 1 Listen to what Mark has to say about this deliverance. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore uh, clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We'll end there at verse 8. So as Mark begins his account of the gospel of Jesus, he, in, he, he intentionally makes us remember the past. From the beginning, he ties the ministry of, of John the Baptist and the mission of Jesus with the ancient prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, which we're going to be looking at as well. And this is significant because Mark understood that the Jewish readers knew the context of Isaiah 40 quite well. They knew that Isaiah 40 was a prophecy about deliverance from exile. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are weighed down with repeated warnings that judgment was coming. Imagine that, all those chapters worth of watch out, be careful, it's coming, judgment's coming, and the Jewish people would be taken captive. So all of that was being uh, warned and, and communicated in those chapters. But then comes chapter 40 in Isaiah. It represents a break. It's a, it's a pivotal point of hope. After the tragedy of the exile, God will speak again, Isaiah says. And he will say in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort, comfort my people. And he points ahead by saying, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. So to those captives in exile, God sent a deliverer. And Mark tells us that is, that is what the story of Jesus is about. Jesus is sent to reclaim his people from exile and lead us into the freedom of his grace. Let's look at chapter 40 of Isaiah. We'll look at the first 11 verses. Let me read those to you, and then we'll go from there. Isaiah chapter 40, starting with verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up 
do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. We'll stop there at verse 11. But Judah still had a hundred years of trouble before Jerusalem would fall. Then 70 years of exile. But Isaiah 40 is intended to be a promise of comfort. A promise of comfort to the people who had their their city destroyed, at least 25% of the people taken captive, and have had years of war and unrest raging all around them. Just imagine that happening around in our place. That we would have war and unrest continuing on. Our city has been destroyed. At least 25% of our people have been taken away. And war and unrest continue to rage on all around us. That would be a little disconcerting. To think that Jerusalem and, and, and the Israelites were going through all this, it helps us understand it better when we consider it in our time and in a situation that would happen like that. God has been distant because their sins, though, have pushed his presence and protection away. They said, no, we want to do it our way. We want to go our direction. Yeah, we know about God, but no, this is where we want to go. Sounds kind of familiar these days, doesn't it? So God tells Isaiah to speak tenderly to comfort Jerusalem. Isaiah 40 is a a promise of hope, a promise of restoration, and a promise of redemption. God has not forgotten about Israel, his covenant community. And I would also say that God has not forgotten you either. As you go through your darkest hour, as you go through troubled times, God is with you. And during this season they're in this time of year, so much more, so much, much more we can be reminded about that as far as God with us, <laughs> Emmanuel. And we can be reminded that baby in the manger that's born to us is God with us. The seeds of comfort may take root in the soil of, of adversity. When your life seems to be falling apart, ask God to comfort you. You may not escape adversity, but you may find God's comfort as you face it. Sometimes, though, the only comfort we have is in the knowledge that someday we will be with God. And some of you cling to that daily. But appreciate the comfort and encouragement found in His Word, in His presence, and also, too, among His people. If you're going through rough times, those are three of the things you probably should stay connected with. His Word... Know that his presence is with you and his people as well. Now, there's two things about this passage in Isaiah 40, particularly verses 3 through 5, that we need to remember. One is that sin is our exile. <laughs> sin is our exile. The promise of Isaiah 40 is rooted in the reality of Jerusalem's exile. Because of their stubborn sin and disobedience, they would experience judgment at the hands of the Babylonian invaders. 
They would live under the the cruel yoke of captivity. And we have experienced the same, only our captor is not merely an enemy nation, but the ever cruel curse of sin. Born into this this slavery, we we are hopeless prisoners in desperate need of rescue. And my thoughts go to elementary school when I think about prisoners in desperate need of rescue. If any of you had played uh, Capture the Flag or, pri- or, or, or Dodgeball before, you probably understand maybe that concept, prisoners in need of rescue. Because when someone in Dodgeball would get hit by a ball and wouldn't catch it, they'd go to the other end and they'd be in prison over there. We had to let them get them free somehow, and so we had to catch the ball, right? Capture the flag, you had to go rescue them and bring them back. And God is doing for us in that way to bring us out of that exile. We are prisoners exiled into this situation of sin. And how did we get the, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we become these hopeless prisoners? Well, on the most part, it's through our own failure. Our own failure. In the beginning, humanity was created for union with God, but we fell into temptation. We betrayed our king in exchange for a tyrant. And this pride has plagued us ever since. This is why we need Advent. (laughs) In verse 3 of Isaiah 40, speaks about the desert, the wilderness. What kind of picture comes to your mind when you think of desert or wilderness? Is it dryness? Is it, is it an open land, a vast open land of dryness? Is it a desert, a place where there's no vegetation? As you think about that, maybe those thoughts come to your mind. But in those desert experiences... We can go back and realize that those experiences are caused by a couple things. They're caused by sin in our life. Sometimes we feel dry or distant spiritually because we have sin in our lives. And it's hindering God's presence. We need to realize as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And taps on our shoulder and says, you know, that probably shouldn't be in your life. You know, you've harbored this for too long. You need to give that over to God. You need to let Jesus take care of it. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit prompts us in that way, we need to respond in obedience. We need to realize, yep, you're right. And agree to let that go and give it to God. Let him clean up your life in that way. Replacing that sin with his grace, mercy, and love. But not only sin, but then maybe sometimes we are, we are led into desert experiences because of circumstances. Circumstances, situations that go on around us. Sometimes our desert experiences is not due to our sin. It, be, it can be due to the difficult life experiences and unrest that surrounds us. And so we feel just dry. We feel far away from God just because of things all around us. And I would imagine that there are a lot of people these days that are feeling that, a lot of Christians these days, because of the different things that COVID restrictions have caused and and the things that our government is doing and stuff like that. We can agree or disagree, but that's neither here nor there behind this pulpit. 
But the idea is that uh, those things lead us in those areas of, of dryness. So circumstances can, can bring us to that moment. There are many experiences in life that can cause that wilderness experience. Maybe unmet expectations. We have expectations about a situation or maybe even a person. And they fail us. They're, they're not met. And so we enter into the desert wilderness experience. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter that we've been praying for and then it just leads us into a dry experience of the desert and wilderness because we just we mourn and we cry out to God for that son or daughter. Maybe it's a severed relationship that you had great connections with in the past, but for some reason, somehow, whether it was something you said or did or they did or they said, now that relationship is severed. And so you enter into a wilderness situation because of that. Because whenever that person comes around or whenever that event happens, you are drawn back to that wilderness area. So circumstances can cause us to enter into that desert experience. And then in verses 3 and 4, though, God is talking, telling them to prepare the way. Prepare the way. Preparing a straight and smooth road means removing obstacles and, and rolling out the red carpet for the coming of the, of the Lord. Making sure that the way is prepared. That desert is a picture of life's trials and sufferings. And, and we are not immune to, to those things. But our faith doesn't need to be hindered by them. Circumstances can cause us to feel like, oh, this is awful and we don't like this and we want to get out. But it shouldn't affect our faith in a way. It shouldn't affect in a way, our joy, because our joy is in the Lord, not circumstances. So I trust that during this time of Advent, when we go through situations that might cause us to feel dry, that we might cause us to, to uh, experience that emotionally, that we realize that our faith should still be strong in the Lord. And in order to do that, you should, during the good times, strengthen that by, by connecting with God more and reading his word and spending time in devotions and prayer, coming to church and, and experiencing fellowship, um, getting into a Bible study and learning more about him and his word, all those things build that foundation to prepare you for moments of wilderness. And so your faith then is established upon a solid rock and not on the circumstances around you. I wonder what sort of things in your life might be blocking or hindering God's movement in your life. What is it that you need to make smooth, make level to prepare the way for the Lord in your life? John Ortberg, he's an author of the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. <laughs> he's authored other books as well, too. But he says uh, about waiting expectantly, he says, Biblical waiting is not passive. It is not a way to evade unpleasant reality. Waiting on the Lord is a confident, disciplined, expectant, active, and sometimes painful clinging to God. 
And maybe these days that's what you're doing, waiting expectantly, waiting patiently, is how he described it. Painfully clinging to God. <laughs> While we cling to hope and wait for the Lord, we can prepare our hearts for God to move. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Psalm 135, 130 verse 5. But what are some ways uh, you can cling to hope as you wait for the Lord? How can you do that? Getting into God's word is a key thing. <laughs> being remind, reminded of his promises. Being reminded of his, his word. The verses that you maybe have memorized in other situations will come back and Guide and direct you. So sin is our exile. But the second thing we can find out here in Isaiah 40, Jesus is our exodus. Sin is our exile, but Jesus is our exodus. God was not content to leave us in exile. Sure, sin is judged, but Jesus provides a rescue. Just as the Jewish people looked for deliverance from Babylon, we also long for deliverance from sin. And while the, 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 the clear context of Isaiah 40 is centered on the Babylonian captivity, there is important language here designed to, to, to trigger even deeper memories. When Isaiah prophecies that, that a, a deliverer, deliverer will come and make straight paths in the, in the desert, he's triggering the shared memory of God's people. They would think a deliverer Wait a minute, wait a minute, leading us out of captivity through the desert? I remember something like that. And you see, God had done this before through Moses. <laughs> and Moses set them free, and the Israelites, uh, all of them from, from Egypt. And this was one of the most significant identity-shaping moments of their history. So for them to have that triggered in their memory was a big connection point. And now... He's doing it again. The history of captivity and rescue that marked God's people would now culminate in the ultimate freedom led by a deliverer far greater than Moses. In verse 5, we see also, too, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Verse 5 contains an emphatic promise. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. No mistake. No mistake. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <laughs> That's pretty sure that those things are going to happen. God fulfilled this promise to the Israelites in their return from captivity, but more so, God fulfilled this promise in Jesus' first coming. He came as a baby to fulfill that promise. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And everyone will see it together. N.T. Wright, another author, Christian author, he says it well. He says, Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises, and as the climax of the story of Israel, has accomplished all this. The finding, the saving, the giving of new life in Jesus. He's done it. It has been accomplished. 
in Jesus' first coming, the glory of the Lord was revealed. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The beauty of God's promise is that He will carry on the good work of redemption He began in Jesus. For those who have believed in Jesus Christ, hope awaits in eternity. And as I mentioned before, we had that connection. Jesus died on that cross for us, buried in the tomb. Three days later, he's risen. Tomb is empty. We have the promise of heaven because Jesus has provided the way. And for those who have received Jesus as their Savior, those can expect to have those, those doors of heaven swung wide open and that place prepared for each and every one of you. Revelation 21 verses 1 and 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He, God, will wipe, away, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Heaven. Heaven. I had a little discussion with uh, one of my daughters about that talking about where heaven would be. Where is it? Is, you know, would it, is it up there? Whatever. And in discussion about that, just talking about how, what heaven is like. I said, instead of, instead of focusing on where it might be, maybe focus on making sure you're there <laughs> and making sure that you understand who and what will be there. It doesn't matter where it will be, but that uh, heaven has been provided for us a place that we can hope in and look forward to. Rescue is coming. It is coming. One day, one day, all of this will pass away. And to that I say, praise the Lord. <laughs> all of this will pass away, and there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more trouble. So we will worship our Savior face to face forever, for eternity. Someone has asked before with <laughs> me about that. I said, so in heaven then, will my dogs be there? Will my cats be there? <laughs> and I, I would say, well, you know what? <laughs> and as I've heard from your son, Mark Perky, he would say, oh, dogs have no souls, neither do cats. So nope, I don't think so. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> my thought is that for, for that to be heaven for us, and we're a dog lover, There'll probably be a dog there for us. Not for them. Dogs won't be saved. Dogs don't go to heaven. Dogs, cats and all that. But for, for, for us to have that be heaven, yeah. And I jokingly said, yeah, there'll be a corner of heaven for cat lovers, a corner of heaven for dog lovers, and we'll be all great. But Heaven, a place for us to anticipate, look forward to, because this place is not our home. We look forward to the hope we have in heaven one day. Stop and think about the freedom you've been given through Christ. And remember your, your exile and your exodus. It's important to recall our exile as we journey through Advent. Just that it is important to focus on, on the joy of the season. Because we are reminded of how God brought us through our exile and provided a way out. There's something to this. 
That's why we, we have communion on a regular basis, to remind us of that, to be reminded of the price that was paid for our sin, and to be thankful. In our own lives, God can seem distant due to troubling circumstances and unrest surrounding us. Other times, God is distanced because we have continually rebelled and forced his presence away. But in both circumstances, whether caused by our sin or the brokenness around us, we can cling to the hope that God makes a way for hope, even in the wilderness of spiritual dryness. All we have to do is turn to him away from our sin or away from our surrounding circumstances. Get your focus on Jesus. Look to him. Annie's Facebook post had one post there I'd like to share today in, in kind of closing. Um, it was on December 1st as I was going through Facebook and I came across that. I thought it would be appropriate to share. It wasn't necessarily anything Annie wrote, but it was something that she shared of a post of uh, an author and speaker of Anne Voskamp. I don't know if I'm saying that last name right or not, but I've never heard it pronounced. I've always seen it. <laughs> but Anne, uh, Anne Voskamp is a, author and, a Christian author and speaker. And she says this about hope, borrowing this from, again, Annie's post on her Facebook page. We don't hope in anything of this world. We hope in God. Hope in Jesus and, our, and your hope goes wherever you go because Jesus goes with you. When you're going through dark days, keep on going because Jesus goes with you and he is your hope. Going through whatever you're going through. Hope only seems lost when you can't find a way forward. You don't need to know the way forward because hope has a map and hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the way and when he is your way, there is always a way forward. Through the dark of Advent, there is hope that whispers, God is here. Hope is the one constant because Jesus is constantly with you. And then she finally, she wraps it up and she says, and Jesus knows turns you never heard of, makes roads you wouldn't have dreamed of, makes miracles happen exactly where you never would have imagined. And there's a reason he is called the way. And I whisper the three words that break through the darkest days of the year, hope in God. And that's what we need to do. Put our hope in Jesus so what ways do you still need to experience deliverance from your exile? Are you feeling exiled these days? <laughs> Maybe you need to come before God and enjoy the exodus. Do you believe that freedom is possible for you? Do you trust that Jesus can deliver you? Whatever that wilderness is, whatever that exile is for you. Examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to identify places where you need deliverance. And pray for the strong grace of Jesus to break you free. Because he can. He can lead you in the exodus. I'm going to ask uh, John and Becky to come on up and let the rest of the worship team. I'm going to lead you in a couple songs. One song in particular reminding us that we have a Savior. <laughs> Savior born to us. And as these songs are sung, I, I just encourage you 
to take that time. If the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart about maybe the exile that you might be involved with, maybe that exile that is happening in your life, the wilderness, the deserts in your life, realize that Jesus has come to bring the exodus in your life. And if you need to take some time and pray and Spend time with God. The altar is open if you want to come and pray. Those who are online, if you'd like to create that altar for yourself as well too and just get with God, you sure can as well. And Spend that time praying and asking God, are we good? Are we good? And if you hear him say, you're in exile and you need help, respond in obedience and trust that God, the, the deliverer, will bring you through and lead you on to the exodus.